it's my privilege to introduce to you Mike Baker. Uh, Mike is uh, with Rosedale International as well as Jerry, who you met a moment ago, and Mike is going to be sharing with us this morning. So Mike, let me pray for you, and then uh, you can take off, all right? Father God, thank you again for uh, faithful men and women who you've called into your kingdom to serve you. I thank you for bringing Jerry, Mike, and their families here with us this weekend, and I pray now that you would bless Mike as he opens your word and shares from us truth that both encourages us and compels us uh, to see your kingdom expand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. Am I on? I think I'm on. Yes. Look at that. Sweet. Thanks. Well, Jerry is an excitable guy. You can't not listen to Jerry and get excited. So I will try to mask his excite, or not mask, I will try to uh, be as excited as he is. Um, I'm generally a pretty excitable guy too. Um, Hey, we are so thankful to be here. Uh, We're so excited to be here. Uh, If you really enjoy the shirts that Sean and his family are are wearing, uh, you should come back tonight and you might wear, you might win one. Uh, There'll be some questions we'll ask from this morning. So either you're a good listener or sit by my kids and ask what the answers would be because my kids can't win. Um, So there you go. Uh, And then we'll we'll also make some available uh, this evening as well. Um, I just wanted to add that that picture from Cote d'Ivoire that Jerry shared, uh, two two aspects of that story. And I I love that Bible college. I've actually been there. I visited there with Devin. I oversee Devin and his work in West Africa. What I love about the Bible college is that the whole family moves there. Um, and that is so uniquely different from most places in the world. A lot of places in the world, when you go study, the man goes off to study, and mom and the kids are left to fend for themselves in a village or whatever it may be. And so they bring the whole family there, the whole three years uh, that, that that gentleman is studying. And so mom gets education if she doesn't have any. They provide education for mom. They teach her uh, lots of different skill sets. Uh, The children, there's a school on campus. The children get educated as well. So it is like a whole holistic family experience. Uh, And then when you graduate, two families go off together to plant a church in a Jula village. So husband, wife, and kids, and if the other person has a wife or whatever, but the two people, they go off two by two, and they plant a church in a village that there is no church. And I I just love that, that they're going. Like you go there knowing you're going to be sent out to plant a church that they're investing in the whole family. I think we could probably learn something from some of that. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to, wanted to add that, that in there because it's just a, a really neat thing that I appreciate about that. Another quick story. We love to tell stories. Jerry and I love to tell stories. I will have to stay on track. I don't have a lot of time. Um, so I might talk really fast like David Platt if you know who he is. Um, but one more story. So when they're building the water tower, uh, they as they were putting on the tank... Um, the crane broke and they dropped the tank and it completely shattered. I don't even know if Jerry knows this story. Um, so yeah, I was going to surprise you. Um, so yeah, they dropped the tank. It completely shatters, completely breaks. And Rod and Devin and others were there like, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to come up with another tank? Like, the money was already raised in the Christmas project. Um, and a lady in the community, uh, she's a wealthy lady, has several businesses. I don't believe she's a believer, but she really likes what they're doing there. She heard about it. She was so impressed that other people had sent money to build this tower that she bought them a new tank, um, just out of the blue. And so again, I don't know, I I don't, Devin wasn't sure about her faith, but he goes, yeah, she just showed up with a guy with a truck and a new tank. And so we put the new tank on and we have water. So 
again, when you live missionally, when you do things, people are watching, right? And that's really what this morning is all about. What does it look like to be a missional church? Um, And we're just going to start in the book of Acts chapter 1 and kind of walk through the first few chapters, just highlighting some things. Again, we're going to go fast uh, because there's a lot there. So if I, I saw in the bulletin, a lot of you guys have small groups on Wednesday nights. This might be a great time to take some notes and expand on some of these things. Because everything I'm going to share is simple, it's biblically based, it's ideas. And ultimately, you as a church kind of have to pray about what makes sense for you, what makes sense for your body, what makes sense for even your small group. And all of these things could be expanded upon. They could all be sermons in and of themselves. Uh, but we don't have time for that uh, this morning. And, and so when I was here in last February, uh, I talked about the five elements from Acts, prayer, scripture, community, missional living, and multiply, taking that straight from Acts 2, 42 through 47, saying that those are kind of these healthy acts, aspects of a, of a person who loves Jesus. And so we're going to kind of expand upon that of this missional living, using the Acts church as a model. And I, I know we do that a lot, and we, we constantly kind of lift up the Acts church. Do I think the Acts church was perfect? Absolutely not. Right? Chapter 5, there's this, like, massive lie by Annas and Sophias. Or, yeah, I didn't say those names right, but you guys know what I'm talking about. There's this massive lie, and they tell you that they didn't sell property. They did sell property. Like, they're literally smitened right there. They die on the spot. Um, A few chapters later, we've got this major, like, Peter, like, doesn't want to go talk to the Gentiles. They're, They're dirty, and there's, like, he has to have the dream three different times to realize it's okay to go talk to the Gentiles. But then later on in the New Testament, we know Paul and Peter are kind of fighting over that. Um, we, we see this ma- major split between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark uh, because he kind of chickened out on a missions trip, um, which if you've ever been overseas, like I get that. Like they're scary, right, at times. Um, but we also know that there was reconciliation because at the end of Paul's life and Peter's life, they both commend Mark and they say, hey, send him. I need him. He's a good, good leader. So, again, the early church wasn't perfect, It was messy, and the Bible shows us some of that mess. And I think that should be encouraging because we're messy, right? All churches are messy because people are involved. And as long as people are involved, there's going to be mess. Um, So how do we walk through that mess? How do we work together? How do we resolve things? And I think what the early church showed us is they had this passion to live out what Jesus said. And so when Jesus left, he said, look, go out and make disciples. Jesus, Jesus gave us ultimately two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And your, and your neighbor as yourself, I guess three commands, and then go and make disciples, right, to the, to the ends of their Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And, and the early church took that to heart. They were like, okay, so I got to love Jesus with everything I got. I got to love my neighbor as myself. Well, who's my neighbor? Well, it's everybody else. I mean, the neighbor is your friend, but it's also your enemy. The neighbor is the person that you like. It's also the person you don't like. The neighbor is the person that may look like you and the person that doesn't look like you. I mean, neighbors are people that aren't family, right? So neighbors could be anybody. And we're supposed to love them as myself. And I, and I think the, the biggest thing about being missional, and, and this is not in my notes, but just, just as I was praying and thinking and as we were singing that last song, honestly, it's, it's having our hands out going, God, this is yours. My life is yours. The gifts you've given me are yours. The finances I have, like, it's yours. Like, here, take it, use it. How can I be used in this, in this plan? How can I be used in what this looks like? And I think having that posture of, it's not mine. It's, it's yours. And when we have that posture as a church, we begin to see things in a different way. We begin to hear things in a different way. 
And I think missional just starts with that, that humility of like, it's yours anyway. Like, it's not mine. You've blessed me with these things. How can I use it to give back? But this early church, they, they, they took it to heart. And we see in the church, I think you have kind of two groups of people. You have goers and you have senders, right? So you have people that go and then you have people that send. And I, in life, you can be both categories. Like Karen and I, we were, for a while we were goers. We lived overseas. Jerry and Donna lived overseas as well uh, in East Africa when I was barely even born yet. Um, it was a long time ago because Jerry's old. Um, which is why I love hanging out with him. He teaches me lots of stuff. Um, but you can be goers and senders. And I think there'll be seasons in your life where you may be both. You might have a season where God is asking you to go. And you might have a season where you're the sender. Or you might always be a sender. You might always be a goer. But the point is, in church, there are goers and senders. And we need both. And it's okay that we need both. It's okay if you don't necessarily go. Um, but, but we need to be senders. And so Jerry's going to talk a lot more about the, the sending tonight. So I don't, I don't want to start there. I want to kind of focus on, or I'm sorry, he's going to talk about the goers tonight, the goers. And so I want to talk just kind of about the senders. And so what does that look like for Bethel to kind of be this missional church that is looking for ways to be missional, to be sending people that maybe you or yourself are being called to go? Uh, and so what does that look like? So if we start in the book of Acts, in the very, very first chapter, chapter 1, I don't know how many of you guys got a chance to read, read through that. But in this, in this first chapter, you see this group of people. There's actually 120 of them. It tells us in verse 15. So you've got the apostles. You've got Jesus' brothers, his sisters, the women that were following. And, these, and another group of people that had followed Jesus, from what we understand from Peter's words, the whole three years. And so they're looking to replace Judas. And we're not going to read all that. If you want to read it, that's great. It's kind of gross what happened with Judas. Um, I mean, it's, it's real. It happened. Uh, but starting, picking up in verse 20 at the end, it's, and this is from the book of Psalms. It says, let another take his office. And so Peter's like, look, we need another leader. We need someone that's like-minded. We need someone who, who thinks like us, who acts like us to replace the one that we have lost. And so it says, some of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taking from us. And I, and I think that's key for us to remember. A lot of times we elevate these apostles. We're like, man, these 12. But yet right there in scriptures, it lets us know there was people from the beginning, from John's baptism to the end, that were there as well. And scripture tells us it's 120 people by the time we get to Acts. And so there were men who were following Jesus that, for whatever reason, were not apostles, but they were there from the beginning. And so they call one of those men, who's Matthias, you know, the guy who replaced Judas that we don't know much about besides this little teeny passage here in Acts, and he takes the place and he steps in. And so when you, when you have, one of the first things in my mind for a missional church is you have like-minded leaders, right? And you have people who are ready to step into that role. So not only do you have like-minded leaders, but you have people that you're investing in, people that you're training, people that you're preparing so that when someone needs to step up, like in this situation here in the New Testament, they can. And Matthias stepped into that role of being an apostle. He knew what it looked like. He knew what it meant. He knew what he was getting into. He had been there from the beginning. And so he steps right into that. And we, and we see later on in, in chapter 2, we see in chapter 3, 244 and 4, 
chapter 432, they had everything in common. They were living together. They were understanding things. And so one of the first things that I wrote down, number one, if you want to take notes like that, missional churches have like-minded leaders ready to go. We're not waiting for the generation to pass away. We're not waiting for the next generation to die off. We're constantly investing in the next group of people. And I didn't even know Jerry was going to share that this morning, but he, he completely shared that in that first verse. And some of the stories he shared is these generational Christians that are now saved because somebody went before, and we had a privilege of partnering with and being a part of and helping see that go. So there's this generational thing. We have these like-minded leaders. The second thing I think that is represented in a missional-minded church, and it's right there just going on in chapter 2. And if you start in in verse 3, and so they've been waiting for the Holy Spirit. It's the day of Pentecost. They're praying. Verse 2 says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as the fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other tongues or other languages, and the Spirit gave them utterance. And I want to point out verse 4. It says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's 120 people, remember? They're waiting. They're waiting for the promise. All of them were filled. All of them began to speak. All of them listened to the Spirit. And so... A missional-minded church, first off, we believe the Holy Spirit exists. And I say that, like, you're probably looking at me like I'm crazy, but there are churches out there that do not believe that. And there are churches out there that believe in sensationalism, if you've ever heard that, where these gifts have died. And they died with the apostles, and they're no longer happening. And so, in my opinion, and what I've seen in my life, and what I've experienced in my life, is that a church that can only be missional is one that's listening to the Holy Spirit, Letting the Holy Spirit empower their people. Recognizing the Holy Spirit still works. It didn't stop. And again, we, we have churches that are teaching the things like prophecy no longer happens. Healing no longer happens. People speaking other languages or tongues no longer happens. That died with the apostles. And guys, I'm going to tell you what. In my life experience, I've experienced all three things. And I wish I had time to tell you different stories of both here in America and on the field. But I have seen people healed. I have seen prophecy. I have seen, I have myself and been able to translate other languages that I do not know. I do know a language from living overseas. But there was a time where I was able to translate all night long multiple languages that I do not know. I have no idea what I said the whole night. But it clearly worked because everyone left happy. So it was good. Um, but, but like, and, and it was the Holy Spirit, right? And it it still happens. The Holy Spirit is still active. He's still teaching. He's still leading. He's still showing. And if we don't believe in the Holy Spirit, then you're not going to do a very good job of being missional-minded. Because it's all about what we think and what we know. History shows and the Bible shows man left on his own doesn't do too well. Just start in Genesis 1 and start reading. Right? We need Jesus. And we need this helper. That's why he said, hey, wait for the helper. The helper's coming. The helper's going to guide you. The helper's going to lead you. The helper's going to show you what to do. So again, an initial-minded church is you acknowledge the Holy Spirit exists, you believe the Holy Spirit, and you let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you. And all through the book of Acts, and and especially where I believe Jerry's going to pick up tonight, we see the church praying and fasting and waiting for answers. What are we supposed to do next? What does this look like? What are you calling us to? 
And so we believe in that and we let, we wait on the Holy Spirit. With that, that same thing being said, the very next thing is people in missional-minded churches, we can share our story, right? And we see that in chapter 2 and 3 and 4. These guys, specifically Peter and John and others, they stood up and they, they preached and they shared a story, right? And, and, a, and a church that's thinking missionally, it's not just Sean's job. It's not just elders' jobs to teach. We're all called to that, right? In the Anabaptist tradition, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, Right? So yes, we have structure, and we have pastors, and we have elders, and we need structure. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying we should get rid of that. But we all have the Holy Spirit in us. If you are saved, and you said, Jesus, be a part of my life, I want to be a part of your life, I'm all in. The Holy Spirit is in you. He will empower you. And you can do crazy things at times if you let him work in you. And so we got to be able to share our stories. It is not all the pastor's job to preach and teach and share stories. It is our job to share stories. It is our job to build relationships. It is our job to be out there in community and get to know people and be like, and I'm not saying you have to give a perfect sermon from Romans Road or all that. Just simply share how Jesus changed your life. Why do you believe what you believe? Does it make a difference And as you build relationships with people, you get opportunities to share. And I believe in a missional-minded church is we all have to be able to share our stories. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be complex. Just simply sharing what God has done in your life. How he's been faithful. How he's spoken to you. How he's shared. And again, that doesn't happen... If you're not building relationships, right? Like, so we have to have friends that don't know Jesus. We have to have friends that are unsaved. We have to actually go out in the world and get dirty and get a little messy. And it's going to get complicated at times. And it will get messy. And you will not always have the answers. And sometimes the answers may be confusing. And that's why you lean on the Holy Spirit. One of the answers that we had to deal with in, in West Africa, and thankfully you won't have to deal with here in Florida, is what do you do with multiple wives? People that come to Jesus after they already have multiple wives, what do you do with that? And I'm not going to tell you what we did with it. Because you've got to come back later to hear more. But you get my point. Like, it's messy. It's dirty. It's not always laid out crystal clear. What do you do with stuff like that? And I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit speaks, and he shows, and he teaches, and he leads. And you lean into him, and you trust him, even when you're not sure if you made the right decision. You're like, okay, I think this is what you're asking us to do. And to take that a a step further, again, with being able to teach and share our stories. I mean, we see that too in the book of Titus, right? Older men and older women being told, being taught, I mean, I mean, Paul is in telling Titus, make sure the next generation is teaching the younger generation. Make sure the older men and older women are investing in these people, teaching them, showing them. That's all of chapter 2. And then chapter 3 literally starts with the words, so that you'll be ready for every good work. Because you have no idea what each day may present. You might be in Walmart this afternoon and somebody comes up to you and just asks you a question and how are you going to respond? Are you ready to respond? Are you ready to invest in that person? I I don't know. But I mean, Titus 3 says, look, you got to invest in the next generation so they're ready for every good work. 
And I think for those of you specifically who have been married for a long time and have had have grown a family and you know what that looks like, man, we have a generation of people that don't know what that looks like. We have a generation of people that don't understand the sacrifice it takes to stay together. And what does that look like? Man, if nothing else, be teaching young men and women what it means to have a biblical marriage. And it's going to be hard, right? You can nod your heads. Like, we all know marriage is hard. I've been married for like 23 years. Yeah, phew. Got it right. I won't be walking home. It's hard, right? And any of you who've been married for any period of time, you know there are good days and there are bad days, and they're better and they're worse. It's hard. And we have a generation that just gives up when things get hard. They walk away. They quit. Even in the church, the divorce rate is over 50% now in the church, guys. There are churches out there teaching, hey, go live together first so you can figure it out so maybe you won't get divorced. I mean, so just the simple things that maybe we sometimes take for granted that we're called to teach. The next one, moving on in Acts, just chapter 3, and the fourth one I wrote down is, use what you have. So Acts chapter 3, the very beginning, Peter and John, they're entering the temple. There's a, a paralyzed guy. He wants money. They're like, hey, we don't have any money, but we have Jesus. We can heal you. And again, I'm not saying that you're going to go out and leave this place and heal someone. Maybe you will. I don't know. It could happen. I've seen it happen. But I do know that a missional churches uses what they have. They recognize the gifts in their congregation. They recognize the needs in their communities or, or partners or connections they have. You pray about how to use it and then you use what you have. I remember a long time ago, Karen and I were the very first church Karen and I worked at. Uh, there was tons of mechanics in the church, just tons of them. So every Saturday, they did an oil change for single people that, that just could not get their oil changed. So you came to the parking lot, and they changed your oil. They're like, we're, we're good at this. It's what we do. We have our own shops. We have our own equipment. Like, this is something we can do. And so again, just a very practical example. What do you have? What does Bethel have? What are you good at? Whether as a church or as families, as, as small groups, as youth groups, as individuals, use what you have. You don't have to make it complicated. You don't have to make it bigger than it is. Just simply go, okay, God, you've given us these gifts. You've given us these, these needs in our community. Let's use what we have. And again, going back to the praying, the listening, the asking the Holy Spirit to guide you in that too. You know, so that you can do it well. And a lot of that happens with conversations, being in relationship, getting to know people understanding needs, getting to know your community, what's going on around you. And if you're not talking to people, you don't know the needs. And if you don't know the needs, you don't even know if you can meet the needs. So if nothing else, if you get nothing from this morning, being missional takes time. And sometimes a lot of time. And sometimes you'll work with someone for a long time and feel like this is not worth it. And then finally something clicks or that light bulb goes off. I had a friend uh, in high school and we were friends for, for, for a very long time. Uh, knew him all through high school. And just, man, just constantly invested in this guy. Witnessed to this guy. Uh, picked him up when he was drunk from places. Like, so he wouldn't be driving drunk. He, I was like, dude, I'd rather you call me than get in a car. Right? I mean, I was in some shady places. Places you probably don't want to know about. Right? Picking this guy up. Because I cared about him. I loved him. I wanted, to see, you know, I wanted him to know Jesus. It was ten years Ten years of just investing in this guy and talking to this guy. 
honestly, we had the best conversations when he was smashed. I'm just going to be honest. He would let his guard down. When he was, he was just let his guard down, we'd actually have real conversations. And it was the day he had lost his job and his wife walked out, of, walked out on him all in the same day. And he calls me up and he said, I need Jesus. I'm like, amen. Yeah, you do. And he got saved and he's been saved ever since. And now he leads a Bible study in his home. But it was 10 years of just hard conversations and beating my head against the wall at times and going, is it worth it? And it was. It was. And it always is. And on the flip side of that, you're going to have some of those people you invest in and they won't choose Jesus. And that's part of it. Because we don't know what people are going to do, right? We don't know their hearts. We just know that God called us to go and make disciples. And so sometimes you do have to choose to walk away or it gets unhealthy or whatever. And again, listening to the Holy Spirit, having leaders in your life, having older people in your life, having people that you can ask, what does this look like? And that goes right into the next one, chapter 4, starting in, in verse 23. Pray for boldness, right? Lord, give me what I need for this day. So many of you probably know the Lord's Prayer. Lord, give me this day our daily bread. Man, pray for boldness. In times of difficulty, in times when you're tired, in times when you just don't know, or just every day, pray for boldness to go and do these things. And the early church, they, got, they had just all been arrested. They weren't sure what to do next. They had been told if they keep preaching, they're going to be thrown in jail. So what do they do? They pray for boldness. They're like, God, we know we got to keep doing this. And they pray for boldness, and they kept going out, and they kept preaching, and they kept doing what God asked them to do. And so I think a sign of a missional church is a church that prays for boldness. And without stepping on any political toes or anything like that, I think our country needs some boldness. Our country's a mess. There's a lot of crazy things out there that are not biblical. And I feel like as... As Christians, we have a chance to, in relationship, appropriately speak into that or not. But to speak into some of those situations, especially maybe in our families and in our communities and in relationships that we have, it's going to take boldness. It, it just has to. And I think beyond that, being a believer is not easy. It, it never was. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, the only book that doesn't talk about how hard it will be to be a believer is 2 Timothy. It was never intended to be this simple, easy thing to be a Christian. That's why Jesus said things like, man, you're going to have to pick up your cross daily. You don't know where you're going to sleep. You don't know where you're going to get your food. You don't know what it's going to look like. Being a believer is always going to be difficult because it's countercultural. It goes against culture. It goes against society. It goes against what God intended. And if you don't understand that from the New Testament, go all the way back to the Old Testament. Right? Again, starting in Genesis, Noah was countercultural to his day. Abraham was countercultural to his day. It was never intended to be easy to follow Jesus. And we try to make it easy. And I'm just here to say, it will be hard at times. There's days where it is easy, and there's days where it's awesome. Man, there's days where it's just difficult. And you got to pray for that boldness, for that strength to continue. And when it's difficult, don't think like, oh, man, this isn't worth it. It is worth it. 
And all these people that went before you, that it was difficult. And all those pictures that Jerry shared this morning, it's difficult. We don't have to worry about the secret police showing up and kicking us out of here. We don't have to worry about persecution as we walk to school. That's what these people, well, maybe we do have to worry about that. I don't know. Someone grunted up here, so. Acts chapter 6, we've got two more to hit. I've got to make this fast. And we've kind of already alluded to this, but again, discipling and appointing leaders. And so in, A- in Acts chapter 6, they, they had an issue. There was people not being fed. They saw a need. They recognized the need. They're like, hey, we can, we can do something about this. God's asked us to do something about this. So they chose the seven to serve. There's these seven men that are, that are the apostles said, look, we're going to let you take care of this. They're listed there in verse uh, five, if you want to read all of their names. I'm not going to read them all. But again, a missional-minded church is, is we're discipling, we're appointing leaders, we're rising up the next generation. I always say that everywhere I've worked, I want to work myself out of a job, right? I want to be investing in the people underneath me and the leaders that I don't need to be there. It's not necessary for me to be there. When we left, uh, I was a youth pastor for, for many, many years, and we were in Pennsylvania. And when we got ready to go to Guinea-Bissau, there was 12, 12 volunteers on, on, on that, I was, that served with me as, uh, in that ministry. We had junior high and high school and college. And when I left and went to Guinea-Bissau, I had no doubt that those 12 were just going to be just fine. Like, they knew what to do. I had invested in them. I, in fact, I probably spent more time investing in them than maybe sometimes even the kids. But they had it. And we walked away, and we went to training, and we went to Guinea-Bissau, and it was a while before they hired someone, and they were fine. They didn't need me. And that was okay. That's what I wanted it to be. I didn't want them to need me. I didn't want there to be a crisis and be like, oh, what do we do this morning? Mike's not here. No, like, you guys got this. You guys know how to do this. You got your small groups. You got your investments. You, and, and they did, and it was awesome. And I had no reservation with going man, this youth group's going to be just fine. So again, we're, we're constantly discipling leaders. We're appointing leaders. We're rising up the next generation. We're looking at needs and asking people to serve. And I'm, I'm pretty sure this is true in all churches. Maybe it's not here in Bethel, and Sean can correct me if it's not. But every church I've been a part of, when it gets time to and like figure out who's going to serve, it's always the same group of names over and over and over now, you have a lot of people here, so I, maybe that's not the case here. But man, it's like, I feel like at times in some of those meetings when I was a senior pastor, we were literally just picking a name to fill a spot because no one wanted to serve. And whether that was because we failed to rise up leaders, or whether people were scared, or what, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I could begin to answer that, but that's not the point of this morning. But we are rising up leaders, we're appointing leaders, we're discipling leaders, we're taking that Titus. We're saying, hey, look, you have gifts, you have skills. Man, you're really good in the computer, why don't you help on the tech team? Man, you're really good at playing the piano, why don't you serve on the worship team? And of all different ages, right? One of the things I love most about living in Guinea-Bissau is that our kids were a part of ministry with us. In fact, probably our kids opened more doors than we ever did. 
and everybody can do stuff. Micah was like this little four or five-year-old, just as cute as a button. And like we'd go to like security checkpoints, and she'd just like flash her little smile and be like, oh, you can go on through. Like, I mean, she was just like the door opener, right? Like one time we were getting ready to fly, and they like had her come behind the counter and fill out the tickets. Because they were like manually filled out tickets. That's how rural of Africa we were in. Um, there was no computer system, right? And, and, and again, I don't have time to tell this whole story, but, you know, Jerry talked about one of the village chiefs being a Christian, and actually three of the village chiefs who was a Muslim family are now Christians in Guinea-Bissau, and all three of them are in ministry. Um, and Josiah, as a young man, 8 to 11 while we lived there, through his life and through his relationship, actually led the village chief to the Lord. He was 8 years old. And ultimately, he loved warga. He loved tea. So every day, he would go to the village chief, and they'd drink tea together, and they'd have these conversations. And the chief just loved Josiah. And Josiah could get away and say things as an eight-year-old that I could have never said. Like, you're stupid because you believe in Muhammad. You know, in, in missionary school, they tell you, don't say things like that. Josiah could say that as an eight-year-old. He didn't, I don't think he used the word stupid. But that's basically what he said, Right? But they had this amazing relationship, and through that relationship and through having a chance to go back over the last couple of years, that man is now in he, he passed away, but he's in heaven. So whoever you are in this room, whatever age you are in this room, you can be used, and God will use you, whether you're the 8-year-old or like Burl Forrester who was 60 when he went over there and spent the next 20 years planting churches. Then the last thing, we'll, we'll end here, and I'm sorry I went over a little bit, but just continue on in, in, in chapter 6 into 7 with Stephen as an example. I mean, Stephen was this young leader, right? He was discipled. He was appointed. Uh, he had boldness, and he went. And we know, if, you, if you've read through Acts, you know he's the first martyr uh, that we, at least that we know about in, in Acts. And he boldly spoke, and they stoned him, and then the church just scattered. Right? And that's where Jerry's going to begin to pick up tonight, the, the goers. But I think the important part for us to remember is that when we have the Stevens in our congregation, a missional church is willing to let them go. And that's probably, I think, the hardest thing, right? We don't want to let our talented people go. We want to hold on to them. We want to keep them. We want them to be the future leaders. But a church that is rising up leaders and appointing leaders hopefully has enough other leaders that when you see the Stevens, when you know that you have the goer, when you know someone needs to go, you let them go. And you bless them. And you send them out. And you support them. And you pray for them. And you're like, you know what? This is going to be really tough. And I don't necessarily like it. And I really want you to stay here. But you let them go. Because that's what God is calling them to. And I think that's one of the hardest things in, in all churches. We don't want to let people go. And sometimes if we're the goer, we don't want to go, right? We don't want to leave our families. We don't want to leave our comfortability. We don't want to leave our routines. We don't want to leave what we know. But if God is saying, hey, I need you to go, and be willing to go. And if you're in this church and you know someone that you're like, man, I'm pretty sure God's tapping on your shoulder, tell them. Encourage them. Release them them. Because when we release people and we send goers, then 20 years from now, 
the Emmas and the Josiahs and all this youth group over here, they're going to be telling stories about these people that are saved somewhere else because someone went. And Jerry gets to tell a story about these men in, in 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 Laos and Bangladesh because somebody went 20 years prior. And somebody was released 20 years prior. And now these men are leading people to Christ. And that is that generational of missional living. And the children of Bethel will tell stories because somebody was sent and somebody went. And again, Jerry will pick this up tonight. But a missional church is okay letting some of the best people go. And some will stay, right? Because some are senders. And some will stay. But we have that open hand that it's not mine. And I'm willing to let them go. I'm going to pray there. And like I said, Jerry's going to just kind of pick this up tonight and just keep going uh, with that theme. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning. I thank you for Bethel. I thank you for this church and this church body. I thank you for the passion that they do have for missions. Lord, and as I look around the room, there's so many different people, so many different age groups, so many different gifts and skills in this room. And I pray that as they start to take some of these things and figure out even more practical ways that you're calling them to this community, maybe to this state, maybe to send some people, God, that you will just empower the church. You'll speak to those that you're asking to lead, whether locally or somewhere else. You'll speak to those you're asking to have the courage to go, whether it's for a year or for five years or for a lifetime. And I pray the different things that we talked about this morning will just be present in Bethel Mennonite Church. And that, God, all of us will have this posture of open hands to what you've given us. In your name we pray.